Hello, my name is Jess Hartwell, and I co-own and run Skyskins, a traditional wool-on tannery and luxury sheepskins and home accessories business here on the Isle of Skye. We're delighted to be sponsors of the On Farm podcast, and I'd love to take this opportunity to see if you may be able to help us. Here at Skyskins, we are proud of our Tread Lightly ethos, and we take the utmost care of the environment throughout every stage of our sheepskin tanning and sales journey. In line with this ethos, we are looking for crofters, breeders and farmers who breed native, rare or heritage breed sheep to supply us with raw skins for our tannery. It means that we can then handcraft fully traceable sheepskins as well as support producers by putting value back into the sheep farming process. To find out more about joining our supplier network, visit our website, skyskins.co.uk or give us a call on 01470 592-237. And of course, you can also browse and shop our sheepskins and accessories, which make beautiful gifts for your home, weddings, birthdays and more at skyskins.co.uk. Hello, it's Dave Howard, producer Dave, with you for this episode of On Farm. It's sponsored by our brilliant friends Gillespie McAndrew. Let's get straight into it. I know we bang on about this, but we're going into the fifth year of episodes of the On Farm podcast. And I'm really pleased to say that here in Dallas and Murray, I have come to the home and the farm of somebody who's been supporting us, I think, from the very beginning. Somebody who's been on, on Twitter and uh, giving us the shout outs. Jock, Jock Gibson, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? I am very well. We've come to your farm here. Uh, and we do this quite often on the podcast, really without any agenda, just to turn up find out what goes on here, how you farm, how you do things, and just have a bit of a mooch about. Is that all right with That's you? That's absolutely perfect. Looking forward to it. So we're here in your kind of you know front yard at the moment, and we've got your beautiful farmhouse behind us here, and there's some farm buildings. I guess the first question is, what is your living here? What is it that you do? How do you, how do you earn your living? <laughs> I don't know. I sometimes ask myself. I, I don't know, he says. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're predominantly a beef farm. We've got about 80 Highland Shorthorn Cross suckler cows. Then all the progeny from that either gets fattened for our butcher shop or is used as replacement heifers. We sell a few stores when we have surplus. And then... We've got a few sheep micro flock of Herdwick sheep, which are getting ever smaller by the day as we as we sort of look at what we do with that. So, yeah, so that's the farm. And then the butcher's shop is based down in Forest. We're supplying wholesale, so hotels and restaurants. Um, we've got a retail shop. And then we also have a mail order business where we're sending beef, beef and lamb predominantly throughout the UK. That is a lot of different things, a lot of different kind of streams of admin to get your head around. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. There's there's a lot going on. And, um, you know, we're a small farm here, but um, it, between the farm and the butcher shop and some commercial property as well, then, yeah, there's there's quite a bit quite a bit happening and just trying to get your head around it. My admin isn't always the best either, which doesn't help. <laughs> um, this is one of those sounds like a riddle chicken or an egg type question but which came first the farm or the butchers or were they both always in the family how, how has that worked what's the history of that so the farm was bought by um, dad and grandparents in the mid 70s and then the butcher shop was born uh, was born was bought in the in the mid 80s by mum and dad 
the issue that we had when dad started at the farm here, he was selling pedigree Highland cattle. And for every bull or cow, in calf cow that made, you know, thousands and thousands of guineas, there was a heap of stucks and heifers that weren't going to make pedigree great. And then, as now, they are not valued in the industry as, as beef carcasses. So, you know, dad was putting them into the, into the system, as it were and really not getting much of a return for them. So looking to try and improve margins on, on finished cattle. To, um, so we bought a butcher shop with a USP of it being pure Highland beef. There's a certain amount of um, bloody-minded belligerence there, isn't there? I need somewhere to sell my beef. I will buy somewhere and make that the place that sells my beef. Yeah, absolutely. And it was to try and take out some steps in the process and just try and get a better margin for, for what is a really good quality beef product. But, you know, it, it doesn't conform to market specs, so people don't really understand it and don't, won't, won't pay for it. So, yeah, absolutely bloody-mindedness. That's good. It's what you need. Yeah. It's absolutely what you need. Um, orientate me where i mean i'm looking at you know beautiful rolling hills and wind farms over there i've actually driven past about a dozen distilleries to get here today and nearly pulled off on the way to uh, to, to investigate those but just for people who don't know this part of scotland where are we and what's around us so we're not far from the murray coast which is about four miles behind us that way um, to the north and then to the south we have the village of Dallas which is just a mile away there and then we're sort of sandwiched up the hill between Forest and Elgin and then we're yeah surrounded by distilleries none in Dallas unfortunately (laughs) but um, yeah we've got there's a heart of Speyside has a lot of distilleries around it so and, and you're not growing arable crops at all? You're, you're not. You know. No, um, we were growing a bit of cereals when we f- first came to the farm um, as cattle feed, but um, like so many things in life, I decided quite quickly that I was a rubbish arable farmer and we weren't doing it on a scale big enough to actually make it worthwhile. So we, we stopped growing cereals five or six years ago now. Okay, I want to have a look in this shed door behind us here because I think some of that beef you've talked about is here to have a look at is that right yeah absolutely so we've got we normally outwinter everything or have done for the last number of years um, our calves and younger stock haven't done as well as we would like so this year we've brought them inside just to keep a closer eye on them and see see what we can do with them and hopefully yeah we'll we'll see what happens and when you say they've not done as well as you would like you just mean they haven't haven't grown and haven't haven't put the the, yeah, the growth on that you'd have wanted. Yeah, exactly. I'm not looking for huge amounts of growth over the winter, but I think we haven't been as good to them as we could have been. They've they've maintained weight at best, and some have gone backwards, which is not what I want to see in a in a growing animal. So you know, bring them in. Um, they're not having to deal with the the wind and the rain and snow and the wet so much. And hopefully that will just have them in a better position it comes springtime, so that when they hit grass, they can they can kick on and fly. Yeah, I mean we've got hardy breeds. They're all Highland Shorthorn crosses, and um, those suckler cows we keep outside all the time and they do really well in it but just in the growing stock i think they're just a bit wee to get through the the winter very successfully and then that has a knock-on as to whether you've got to keep them for a second winter or not 
You say that you've not been. What, did, what was the phrase you used? You've not been as good to them as you could have been, or something like that. Was yeah, the phrase I you think, used? Yeah, I think we have. Um, we've tested the hardiness of them, and don't get me wrong. It's it's not that they've been they've been miserable or um, you know they've been in really bad conditions. It's just that they haven't thrived as well as they well as they could have done, and we need to have a look at, at why that is. And that is the art and the science of managing stock isn't it is working out what inputs you need to put in to get good results out and you're in the process of doing that yeah absolutely and every every year is a different iteration of trying to trying to refine the system such as there is a system here um, but um, you know each year we're looking at trying to trying to improve things work out what we're doing well but also recognize the things that we maybe aren't getting quite right to to adjust them and move on from there and there's this is a this is a good uh, segue coming up now. Are you ready for this? I think that <laughs> process of iteration and trial and improvement and all the rest of it requires a certain amount of resilience. Mm -hmm. You can see where I'm going yes. with this, can't you? And you're one of the people who are driving the new FarmStrong Scotland initiative. It's one of a bunch of things I wanted to talk to you about today. What is FarmStrong? What's it going to bring to Scottish agriculture? And what, what's it for? It sounds like a very exciting new thing that you guys are, it's not just you, is it? It's kind of a few well-kent faces across Scottish agriculture involved in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely privileged to be involved with a group of people who frankly are far more talented than I am. Um, but no, it is a programme and initiative that's been brought over from New Zealand, um, started in New Zealand about eight years ago, and it is a wellbeing programme um, designed to help farmers and crofters in Scotland looking at ways as to how they can improve their own well-being. So everybody has a level of well-being. I guess if you look at it like a piggy bank, when things are good, you want to be topping up your well-being levels so that when things do go against you, um, you can maybe meet those challenges uh, with a bit more of an open mind and be able to bounce forward with it rather than letting these things knock you back a bit and you then run the risk of getting into a bit of a downward downward spiral which is what we what we all want to avoid because at the end of the day we all want to do the best by our farms by our livestock by our families and to do that we probably have to do best by ourselves first and in farming as most people know you know your life and your home and your work are all largely in the same location and very much mixed up with each other in ways that they aren't necessarily in other walks of life. Absolutely. There's, it does feel like there's, there's no escaping from it sometimes. And, you know, when, when things are going against you and you can't escape it, that's when it starts to get, get really difficult. In FarmStrong, we talk about the five ways to well-being. One of those ways is connecting, um, connecting with people and going and seeing people. So what's really useful, especially in the winter months, is getting off farm and going to farm meetings and seeing other people and speaking to them. And, you know, having conversations about how your day's going, how, how things are going in general, and, you know, listening to other people and what's, what's happening in their lives. And, you know, just trying to take the positivity from from everybody and also give positivity back um, so and it, you know it's a mutual thing you can feed off each other is there an element of community there absolutely i mean we talk about farming as being a community but equally it can be one of the most isolating and lonely jobs that there is so you know it's it's vital that we 
we do act like a community and um, you know go and go to meetings and see people and, and connect with people and, and allow people to connect with you and then you know when you are having the rubbish days or the difficult days there's a chance then that you can pick the phone up or somebody will pick the phone up to you and just check in and go how are you getting on how's things one thing it seems to me that you're saying is that Farmstrong isn't about when things have gone very wrong or when the wheels have fallen off and you need help with uh, mental ill health or, or, or some kind of crisis. That's not what this is. It's much more about maintaining good well-being and good health. Is that right? That's correct. So it's very much about having the tools and um, things in place to be operating at your best self so that when the wheels do come off or something goes wrong, you're in a position that you can meet it and deal with it without it having too much of an adverse effect on you. Now, that will take reserves of well-being to deal with that, which is why it's important to have that piggy bank as full as you possibly can, so that when things do go wrong and the piggy bank starts to empty, you've got enough in reserve that you can then pick yourself up and, and go again the next day and then start building up that piggy bank again. It's like your, your cows here, you've got to have the right inputs going in so that they can stay healthy over the winter. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk all the time as an industry about looking after our cows, looking after our crops, looking after our soils. We very rarely talk about looking after ourselves. That's got to change. And Farmstrong is but one vehicle to, to try and have that mindset change where we start talking about ourselves and how we look after ourselves so that we can always be at our best levels. What's that going to look like? Is that going to be events, branding at shows and, and, and things like that? I don't think we're going to be at agricultural shows um, just with a stand. We need to be more embedded in day-to-day -day agriculture than that. Yes, we might have a presence at shows, but it will be maybe doing something different, whether it's workshops or whether it's entertainment or whatever it might be. But it's how we, how we draw people in so that we can pass on those tools and tips and, and stories about um, how people maintain their well-being and enhance their well-being. And what's prompted you to get behind it? Why, why have you decided that that's something that you really want to drive forward? Um, I think um, all of us that are involved in um, Farmstrong recognize that at times you know, we do have low points. Um, I know when I first came to the farm here, I really, I found it really, really difficult and didn't have didn't have those support. I, you know, I was relatively new into the agriculture scene. So whilst I've been at the butcher shop for a while, I hadn't been in the agriculture side of it for a good long time. So didn't have those networks of people that I could just phone up who might understand the challenges. And also didn't have the tools and things to deal with the, the crap that went our way. And certainly to begin with, when we came up to the farm, there was a lot of crap to deal with. So, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't equipped to do deal with that as well as I as I could have been. So, you know, Farmstrong having that positive influence, um, where it, it's almost like I can take control of my own destiny because you know it's not um, you're not in that sort of not terminal decline but downward spiral 
of emotions. It's you know you've you're taking control and looking to see how you can improve both yourself and and what you're doing on the farm. It's um, uh, <laughs> when I was um, a teenager, I got a postcard from my parents once when they were on holiday, and it said, "Learn from the mistakes of others. You can't possibly make them all yourself." Um, and it's and it's that trying to learn and educate and um, pass on that experience and knowledge as as best we can. I'll give it a damn good go uh, of making <laughs> yeah. all the mistakes. I reckon I've trying. got my bingo card of mistakes <laughs> quite full. All right, look, so I'm just sort of mentally checking things off my list of things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, a bit about your farming, a bit about the butcher. We talked a bit about Farmstrong. It's been another exciting development for you recently. A really big deal, and congratulations for it. You have won a Nuffield Farming Trust scholarship. Tell me what that's about. What, what's that going to, what are you going to be doing for the next little while? Um, yeah, really chuffed with that. Nuffield Farming Trust scholarships are um, a funded opportunity to travel to study a, a topic um, that you're interested in that you can you can bring back to your business but will also be of benefit to the industry. I'm looking at meat eating quality in 100% grass and forage fed systems, particularly in beef systems. So looking to do a fair amount of traveling, looking at, at different beef systems and how and seeing what lessons we can learn to improve eating quality in, in grass and forage fed animals. So and trying to yeah, trying to get those principles and how we can apply them into into these systems so that we're producing something that's, you know, as nutritionally dense as it possibly can be, but also hits certain requirements such as taste, tenderness, um, and it might be there might be other factors in there involved with um, biodiversity, environmental credentials, and, and so on and so forth. So trying to understand what consumers are looking for, what chefs are looking for, and then how we meet them. In Scotland in particular, we're very parochial, for want of a better word, that, you know, we produce Scotch beef, Scotch beef should be eaten here, and, and so on and so forth. And you look at other parts of the world, and, you know, America might be taking in um, wagyu beef from Japan. They might be taking in Australian beef. They'll have their own beef, and they promote it and elevate it for what it is from the systems that it's come from. They have eating quality systems that you know we just don't have in place. And I, I wonder why we're not so as broad thinking as as some of these other countries. And is it down to eating quality? Is there something that we can do with the products that we produce here to? make it truly exceptional and compete more easily on a world stage so it's it's those sort of things that we're going to be looking at what's going what's that tractor doing behind us i need to just because people are going to be listening to this and going why haven't they mentioned the work that's going on who's doing the work behind this <laughs> it's certainly not me that's doing the work no we're very lucky in that we have a very multi-talented um stockman called johnny who works on the farm he has been here now for Oh, about a dozen years, I think. So he's just clearing out feed passages in um, the in the shed over there. So just with a heavy rain, it can get it can get pretty mucky. So we clear them out every every couple of days just to keep things as clean and tidy as possible. So that's that's what he's up to. I only mentioned it then because the, the tractor noise is particularly noisy at that moment. <laughs> we should go back to talk a bit more about your Nuffield scholarship. So will you be 
traveling to Japan, America, around the world to see some of these systems in action? Yeah, so that's the plan. So we have a um, conference in Brazil where all Nuffield Scholars um, for our year um, have a conference for 10 days. So that's in March. And then from Brazil, planning to go to Uruguay. If we've got time, Chile, and then come back, um, we'll go to, so I think the whole family will go to Japan for a bit, and then Fiona and the kids will come back. I'll stay in Japan to do what I need to do, Australia and New Zealand. And then in the autumn, if I've got time and money left over, um, the aim is to get to America and Canada. Wow, what an opportunity. It, They're really hard fought for, aren't they, these, these Nuffield scholarships? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm one of two from Scotland this year. Um, and, it, you know, it depends on, on the applications. But um, this was my second attempt at it. Last year, I didn't, I didn't even get an interview. Um, so it was, it was a hard fought. And, yeah, it's been something that's been at the, on the radar for about, I don't know, four or five years. But with the young family and trying to get bedded into the farm here, it's been difficult to, to do, but um, equally there's an upper age limit as to when you can apply. And we were knocking on the door of that upper age limit, so we had to pull our finger out. But yeah, just really, really tough to get it. And for me as well, the opportunity to see different systems, you know, I haven't had that agricultural college background. I haven't had that um, academic learnings for farm learnings. So to be able to go out and see these places will just be huge. Oh, enjoy it. Going I, hope to. Have, <laughs> I hope you have a brilliant time. That you can. What's your sort of like thesis at this point? What do you think you will learn? You must have an idea in your head of, of what you think you'll find out. So I guess where this came from was you know, we were talking earlier about some of our animals not doing so well during the winter and at best maintaining weight and sometimes going backwards. That extended store period and check in growth is shown to have a detrimental effect on eating quality. You know, whether it's more gristle or, you know, um, connective tissues, that has an impact on, on the tenderness of, of the beef. But at the same time, as an industry, we're being pushed down this more pastoral um, roots so you know we're now pasture for life certified here um, and which is fantastic I love that way of farming but there are challenges if you don't get things right from a nutrition point of view so that's where it's born out of what do we need to do nutritionally to keep our cattle you know ticking over or just growing slightly to make sure that we don't have that negative impact on eating quality it's what we can do on farm here that will help that and then how do we disseminate that to the rest of the industry that's really interesting from what you're saying it sounds like somebody who really knew about these things could eat a steak that's put in front of them somewhere and understand from how it tastes and and, and how it is to eat what kind of life it's had yeah absolutely and i think with the systems that we've had in place in in recent decades, you know, we've had Shinty get out of it. It's a very friendly <laughs> golden lab here. Come to say hello. Um, scavenging brute. Um, with the systems that we've had in place on farms in recent years, it has 
introduce you know we've we use a high level of concentrate feeds and which is which is a very efficient way of um, producing beef quite often it uses byproducts from other industries which is something that I think should be should be celebrated where it's where it's appropriate to be using those feeds so that's not where I'm coming from so like distillers grains or something like yeah, that exactly I think I think there is a, a place for all of all of these things but what that has done potentially is condition consumers to a certain type of type of beef and it's probably quite tender it maybe doesn't have a huge amount of flavor but that's fine because the way we cook it and add sauces and things like that it maybe doesn't matter to people but to to some it does and um, I think there are those people that could say you know I beef doesn't do it for me in the same way that it used to because I'm not getting those flavor profiles or I'm not getting nutritionally it's not what it used to be or or whatever it might be so I think there's a whole heap in there that we can look at and maybe I travel around the world and go the best way of doing this is to go and fill a beast full of grain and that's that's it um but even if that is the case there will be things that we can do on a grass and forage based system that will improve the eating quality of what we do without using cereals and that's that's really the challenge that I'm trying to look at because we we don't have the option of phoning up a feed merchant and going can you send an arctic load of your um, your best-selling protein that I can shovel down the throats of my cattle you know we have a consumer base that is looking for grass-fed beef and and that when they say grass-fed they want you know, 100% grass-fed, or you know, they don't want that those cereal inputs. So we're trying to meet that demand, but we've still got to produce a product at the end of the day that people go, "I want more of that." It's really tasty. It's really tender, or or whatever it is, or it may be the go- tenderness isn't the thing because I'm buying into an ethos as well, and that's a quality indicator for them. So there's there's loads in there. It's trying to it's trying to pick it pick it out and trying to get to get the principles it's an optimizing process isn't it of all of these different dials you can tweak from you know feed and ethos and certification and whether they're out or whether they're in or all these sorts of things and it's about figuring out mapping your way through those yeah and i think it's going to end up being a bit like um a a circular puzzle and you poke one bit and a bit pops out the other side and it's never just quite perfect so if you try and affect one thing it has an impact on something else so producing for taste for flavor might have an impact on tenderness or you know producing for one thing might impact another so at the moment I'm trying to keep a really open mind and not have any preconceived ideas. Right, so I'm being incredibly unhelpful by asking you, <laughs> what are your preconceived ideas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> no, I mean, it's... I, I wouldn't have been able to apply if I didn't have a pre- preconceived idea or an issue that I thought I was facing. But now it's, it's trying to keep prejudices at the door and you know go into and look at systems with an open mind um and you know see just see what we can learn um and what we can apply what's applicable and actually i think i saw on social media that you are 
trying to speak to chefs as well. You're hoping to get chefs to reach out to you and say what it is that they value. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we deal with a lot of chefs and, you know, um, at the moment, especially with where hospitality is as an industry, one of their key purchasing drivers is price of a product. Um, now, the way we produce our beef here is never going to be the cheapest because, you know, we maybe can't achieve the same stocking densities or, or whatever. But um, so that's maybe not a price. Uh, that's maybe not a factor that we're routinely going to hit. But not every chef is looking at price. It might be how it's produced. It might be consistency of certain traits. So um, I, I, I want to speak to chefs um, on a worldwide basis, not just in the UK, j just to see what their relationship is with, with the food that they're buying for their kitchens. And I should have asked this at the outset, but I forgot. Are you talking specifically about steak, about cuts, or is this a broader, you know, it could be burgers, chops, pork? So I would like it to be broader than just steaks. There's no two ways about it. The steak is where the real conversation happens. Equally, you know, we get we get really good feedback in the butcher shop, for example, for cuts like diced chuck, in that it cooks much better than other sources of you know wherever they've been traditionally buying it from before. And so, that's great to know. But why is that? Is it a maturation process? Is it, um, is it the breeding? Is it the feeding? You know, what's, what's involved with that? So I would like to broaden it out. Primarily it's beef and lamb because it's grass and forage. Um, but equally, I look at quite intensive poultry systems or pork systems. And you know, we, it's not going to be a popular sentiment, but um, you know, we have challenges retailing pork, for example, because it doesn't necessarily hit key quality markers. So it, it can be difficult to cook successfully without it going chewy. It doesn't necessarily have the flavor that it, uh, people would like. So it then becomes a carrier for a protein carrier for a sauce. And, you know, the worry is that beef goes down a similar sort of similar sort of line. Gosh. There's a lot to think about in this Probably scholarship too much. coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to have every pork farm, pig farmer after me. <laughs> Any views expressed about the quality of uh, pork in Scotland are entirely Jock's own <laughs> and nothing to do with the on-farm podcast. I mean, I think what's, what's important to say, though, is that the likes of pork and poultry has seen massive developments in in other improvements in farming systems, whether technical it's technical improvements, technical improvements have been have been brilliant, and you know, including antibiotic use and and really important things like that. So, you know, it's it's not that I'm I'm looking down on that industry at all. It's just again, it comes back to this circular puzzle that you you poke one bit and a bit pops out the other side. You know, you do something really, really well, but it might have an adverse effect on, on something else. So it's trying to find that balance. I mean, we've always outwintered cows normally on a forage crop or whatever. And I've over the years, I've become increasingly unsettled with that. We don't get these cold, crisp winters that are increasingly wet and you've got cattle in forage crops turning to mud and it's it's not a i don't think it's a good look for our consumer and if i'm not comfortable with it 
why should I expect our customer to be comfortable with it? So we've moved this year to lining out bales in the fields, letting the grass go on a bit, and then moving a fence every day, opening up a bale and, and letting them have it. So we're not, we're not taking telehandlers into a field. We're just driving around there in the pickup and opening up a bale and moving it. And that seems to be working really well. Um, I'm not sh saying we've got it just absolutely right, but uh, as a first attempt, it's, it's been a massive time saver. Um, and cattle aren't knees in the mud. Um, you know, we always had a dry run back for them, but this way the, field, the whole field's dry. They're not having to go back to a bit that's, that's clean. Um, so, so again, it's, it's looking at those sort of things where we can improve what we're doing on a day-to-day on a -day basis and, um, you know, yeah, just find things that are better for our animals and better for ourselves improve and adapt actually yeah. because you're adapting to changing conditions there as well yeah absolutely and i think um it's it's one of the things that i'm really pleased we've been able to do here in the last eight years and it's it's been really good with um johnny because you know some of the ideas i've had or adopted haven't necessarily been treated with vast amounts of enthusiasm when they've been first floated but um you know he's here he goes again <laughs> exactly what's it going to be this time um <laughs> but you know it's um you know five years ago i think it was we started looking at putting in rotational grazing and infrastructure for fences and it's like well that'll never work and then you sit there and go actually we couldn't imagine now doing it any other way and it's the same with outwintering systems and, and so on and so forth. It's, well, you know, that's might not going to work. I don't see how that's going to work, but let's give it a go. And that, that enthusiasm to at least give something a go. At least they can shout at the boss and say, well, I told you that wasn't going to bloody work. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all the way back to trial and improvement and resilience. We're back to where we started at the beginning of the chat. Yeah, and I, and that's the thing. It's you're less likely, you know, back to the well-being thing. You're less likely to try new things if you if you don't have that good level of well-being. And it, and it, that's really interesting because actually you're perhaps appealing to a, a a type of farmer with that kind of messaging that might not be touched with the kind of touchy feely, nicey nicey stuff. If you're saying actually it's going to help your bottom line, yeah. If you're the best you can be, yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. One of the um, funders of Farmstrong in New Zealand is an insurance company because they see people who are engaged in Farmstrong and good levels of well-being less likely to have an accident. Um, so and you know I know myself here that you know um, I got clouted by a cow earlier on this year and it was at the end of calving we were all tired and you know taking shortcuts well-being wasn't where it should have been and you you get clouted by a cow for your troubles so you know it's it's all these things that you it all feeds back from that level of good level of well-being to to help you move on and and to avoid the stupid accidents that's great, because that almost sounds like we planned that for it to come <laughs> full circle all the way back around. Jock, I just want to say before we finish up, I know I said this at the beginning, but 
we really do appreciate it when people like you retweet and share and say nice things about the podcast so thank you so much for that and i'm very glad that we've been able to come out and see you today well thank you for keep doing the podcast because it is it's a it's a really informative podcast that you know i every time i listen to it i learn something new and that's that's fantastic i just love the podcast maybe not this episode but <laughs> i might not listen to this one <laughs> jock thank you so much thank you And we didn't even pay him to say those nice things about the podcast. If you also find the podcast informative, educational, whatever it might be, we need you to share it with people. Let people know that we're here. There's a vast back catalogue of episodes now, getting on for 170 episodes, covering all aspects of farming and rural life in Scotland and beyond. Let people know that we're here because it really helps us to build and grow our audience and continue to tell these stories. This episode of On Farm is sponsored by Scottish law firm Gillespie McAndrew. Thanks very much to them and all our sponsors. They keep us going. Uh, It's made by our team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. So do get in touch anytime you've got questions or thoughts related to rural or food-based communications, marketing or comms. We'd love to hear from you anytime or podcasts, of course. Take care. Bye for now.